Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. Good afternoon, Darren. Hello, Mo. You know, this is our maiden voyage. This is our first go-around on our new Deeper Podcast. This will differentiate from our teaching podcast, which features our Sunday teachings. And uh, each week, we're going to dive deeper, and we are going to basically get to all of those things you couldn't fit in a sermon on a Sunday. Yeah. The thing that I have struggled with in my 10 years of being a pastor, uh, besides like stress eating and, and other things, but one of the things is that I, I, you know, you and I talk all the time and I'm, I'm, I want to put this article in or I just read this in the Wall Street Journal and, you know, get made of fun of because the New York Times article does it. But I mean, I only got like 30 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah. And so we've been talking for a while about a midweek podcast where we could actually maybe synthesize some of the stuff that's happening in our world uh, with the word, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things I've always felt very strongly about is that the word of God is for today and that, but in the world itself that, um, there's a lot that's happening that, that God's word is, is applicable for and that it matters about. And so. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I guess in the intro, right? Fascinating finds. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, and that's and we those that know you the closest know that uh, whenever we think of the word fascinating, <laughs> we think of Darren. Um, not because I'm fascinating, but because I find so correct. many things. Yeah, let's not get carried away here. Right, right. Uh, no, it's your your ability to find those things that are those little treasures either in scripture that tie to current events, um, to things that are happening across the globe, you know, our mission efforts, uh, and just being able to have an outlet like this, especially for you or whoever's teaching on a Sunday, um, yeah, to, yeah. to dive deeper past just a 30 minutes, three points in a poem, as we say sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look in the world we, uh, the, the, we existed in before COVID, but for sure, even, um, I mean, just the last few years, like the idea of having a Wednesday night uh, teaching where someone just sits on a stool and teaches the Bible, like that sounds great if you don't mind nobody being there. Right. And so we thought, that's great, but where is everybody? They're in their car, they're driving places there. So this is our attempt to say, hey, look, the word is still important. And this will give you a chance to, hey, I can listen to this on the way to work. I can hit pause, listen on the way home. I can fast forward to the funny parts. I can, you know, (laughs) that's what this is uh, for us. And I'm actually kind of excited about it because, you know, I'll have these conversations uh, with you or James or or David or uh, people at the church. I'm thinking, man, that's something I would love for other people to hear. But then I, you know, I have no way to do that. So this is our, I don't know, this is our attempt to make that happen. Well, as you know, we are diving into Revelation, the book of Revelation. The series is called The Big Reveal, and I can't think of a more timely study 
uh, on a particular book than this one right now. And uh, more specifically, we have invited our good friends, uh, the Pickett's, uh, Grady and Becky Pickett, who are in Erbil, Iraq, just east of Eden and east of Jerusalem. Um, and ironically, they have been going through the book of Revelation as well, which yeah. obviously timing wise works out really, really neat. Yeah. I mean, as I was thinking about, okay, what's your first episode? Um, you kind of want it to be a good one. You don't want it to suck. <laughs> Interviewing a guy who lives in Iraq about what he is seeing of the signs of the times of the return of Jesus, that actually felt like a pretty good first uh, first interview. And I'm telling you, I, since I mean, I've already done the interview, so I kind of know, but this is really good. He lists out five things uh, that he is seeing in Iraq. Uh, so if you've been watching what's happening with China or with Turkey or and you're wondering what does all that matter, we talk about all of that stuff. Yeah, and we're going to get to that here shortly. But before we do, we wanted to just talk about a couple of news events here locally even that uh, that have popped up. One is, is more of a global calendar event, and that was, you know, according to the Mayan calendar, we were supposed to be, um, I don't know, evaporated. Yeah. This, this past Sunday, uh, <laughs> everything was supposed to go away. Um, and uh, again, according to the Mayan calendar, w- the world was supposed to end. However, it's it's uh, midweek and we're still here. It seems like it's worked out. I mean, all look, nothing but respect for the Mayans and their ability to build pyramids, uh, their proclivity for human sacrifice, notwithstanding they, <laughs> you know, they got some stuff done. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, June 21st. So uh, as I recall, it was it was originally in 2012. And then somebody figured out, oh, the Julian calendar, Julius calendar versus the Gregorian calendar. We have made a miscalculation. And so Father's Day 2020, that's when the world is going to end. They've wow. made a miscalculation. So uh, turns out that uh, did not happen. So we, I guess we can mark that off the list. Again. Of things to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> and then even... Locally, here in Nashville, um, the Tennessean published an article. It wasn't even actually an article. It was an ad. It was a paid ad stating that a nuclear bomb is scheduled to go off in Nashville July 18th. And it was a paid ad from an organization, kind of a mystery organization out of Arkansas, um, (laughs) as part of Prophecy. Now... Having been going through the book of Revelation right now, um, it's interesting to see if that particular event is supposed to take place. Yeah, so <laughs> as I mean, described. I, yeah, I guess I, I mean, need to put that. I'm going to put it in my calendar. July was it July 18th? July 18th. July 18th. It came on there Saturday. You know what I want to know is the guy in the ad department that approved that thing. And, and look, I understand local news organizations. You are short on cash. I get it. Right. But like, how did that actually it's get in through. print? Full page. Color ad in the Tennessean. And by the way, the, the guy that, I, it isn't even worth saying his name. It, so he is a, a part of a quote-unquote fringe of the Seventh-day Adventist. He's out of Arkansas. So Arkansas, number one, you're already two strikes, right? You're already down. Uh, in the, I say that from Nebraska, so no offense to my Arkansas friends. But a religious cult in Arkansas, like you don't want to give that as much credibility as, I don't know, like a, a religious cult like say in upstate New York, I'd listen to a little bit more maybe, but... 
but this guy paying money to tell us that we're going to get bombed on July 18th by... Now, that said, if we get bombed on July 18th, I just want to go on record saying I apologize. I was wrong. True. Uh, but I, I have a strong suspicion uh, that this guy... Uh, just wasted an enormous amount of his money from his ministry to tell us uh, that Islamic radicals are going to blow up our beloved city on uh, July 18th. Yeah, it was just really interesting kind of reading his statement um, that was printed. And if you if you Twitter search, I think the, the phrase is Nashville nuclear. So uh, wait, is it trending or is it just you can find it? You can find it if you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I typed in Nashville <laughs> and nuclear came up. As a search topic, you can read. Somebody has taken a picture of this ad. You can read it for yourself um, and, and dive into the weeds um, on on this organization and what they have to say. But he's pulling it from a a, a viewpoint or a um, this idea that it's biblical prophecy, and that is uh, that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Now the yeah the problem with biblical prophecy like that is when it's actually not in fact biblical. So you kind of like, oh, I mean, you know prophecy but I don't know that you could pull that I mean you'd have to you'd have to really extrapolate yeah that I did hear a guy say once and I'd give him credit if I could remember but the Bible is not unlike a man with a, if you torture him long enough you can make him say whatever you want mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like yeah. that with this um, well as it pertains to Revelation 1 yeah on Sunday you dove into the first half and the podcast is up for that from the teaching from June 21st, the first part of Revelation 1. There's a couple of topics in there that you just didn't have time to maybe dive into. Yep. And one of those specifically is in verse 4, uh, Revelation 1, verse 4. And it talks about the seven spirits before his throne. And it doesn't really give any context before or after. It just kind of a drive-by thought a statement, these seven spirits. What, yeah. what is that? <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, maybe I should say this, right? Even though uh, the whack job from Arkansas is, is probably wrong about a, a nuclear blast on July 18th, Jesus is actually returning. Like he did say, I'm coming back. Uh, every one prophecy that he fulfilled in his first uh, appearance, there are still eight more to be fulfilled in his second uh, coming. Uh, so we do know he's coming back, and that's one of the reasons that this book is so important to us. But, you know, that seven spirits uh, before his throne, it's actually seven spirits is referred to, I think, three, maybe four more times in Revelation. Uh, there's different opinions about it, but the one that not only seems to make the most sense, but the one that seems to be held by the most uh, commentators that have some sort of credibility is it's not a reference to seven different spirits, like seven different ghosts or whatever, but it's a it's it's an illusion. Like everything in Revelation is an illusion to something from the Old Testament uh, in the prophets, the minor prophets, uh, the from the book of Genesis. But there's this verse in Isaiah 11 uh, that speaks of. Um, the sevenfold, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, the sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold activity of uh, the Holy Spirit. And it's, uh, it, and it's just listed out. There's seven of them. There's the spirit of the Lord. Uh, there's the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, uh, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Uh, if you look in John chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16, and Jesus 
talking about the Holy Spirit that is going to come, it's a beautiful promise because then he says he's going to counsel you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you. And when you cross-reference everything that Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to do, it actually cross-references perfectly with that. So the, the simple answer is it's just a part of John's poetic apocalyptic language referring to not just the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, but the sevenfold perfect work of the Holy Spirit. And what I love about it is that the Holy Spirit, it says here, is before his throne and we have access to that. Hebrews 4.16 says we can go boldly to that throne room of grace. So when John says something like he was in the Spirit, you know, on the Lord's day, that's it. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding and counsel. So, so that's what I think it is. Uh, there are guys out yeah. there, uh, Benny Hinn being one that says that, uh, so that if you go to Isaiah 11, that uh, the spirit of the Lord, and then there's these six others. So he says that the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each have their own mini trinity in the middle of it. Um, you know, that's, I, I don't want to say crazy talk in case that's what you believe, but just I would encourage you to go back and look at that again. That does not seem to be at all what that means. Is this is in the context of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right there in Revelation 1, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. Speaking of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's interesting that in the beginning of Revelation 1 that Jesus receives a, a revelation right. from God. Okay. Right. So the, the, the question begs to be asked, you know, how is it that God gave Jesus a revelation if Jesus is God? Right. It's a bit of a <laughs> conundrum. Hey, uh, the thing I love about Revelation, like you're not even one verse in. Right. <laughs> Here we are. And you're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> what? He told him what? And then he told him who? And. And it's a beautiful thing because it actually, uh, I think, is a, a beautiful understanding of of the divinity. You know, God, you know, and Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. And so, you know, it's not that Jesus could walk around uh, the earth and like walk on his bathwater as a child because he's just miraculous, can do all that. He is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. It's this this mystery uh, you know, Paul talks about it a little bit when he wrote to Philippians chapter two, the church of Philippians, when he says that uh, in your relationship with one another, verse five, have the same mindset, like be, be like Jesus, have the way that he was thinking, who in the very nature, verse six, uh, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and appearance as a man, he obeyed. Uh, yeah. The point being that Jesus, yeah, he is 100% God, but when he gave up his eternal existence, he took on our existence. And so when Jesus actually said, hey, the, uh, when they're asking, hey, when are you going to come back? He's like, I don't know. You got to ask the Father. I don't know. Yeah, that's so interesting. Right? Isn't it a fascinating thought that he, it, 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 to me, it doesn't make him smaller. It makes him uh, bigger because it means that when it says that he had the same temptations you and I had, but he didn't sin, he didn't get like a shortcut to this. Like he didn't get to be okay, but you're God. So it's not fair. Uh, I guess if I were, this is complete conjecture on my part, but in my, what I've wondered is in his man form, did he resemble more Adam 
right than God. Like so, Adam was a man. Adam had the choice to sin. Adam had he didn't have that sin nature in him, but he still had the ability to sin. The choice to it. So did God? Did, did Jesus? Res, he probably resulted like more like that. He probably resembled him more than that. Mm-hmm. But that meant that the same miracle working power that Jesus had, he didn't have like some shortcut to it. He would just like you or I would have to, you know, believe and, and pray. And I mean, just that alone, by the way, he prayed like to God. And you know, at the end of the day, the the, the Trinity. And by the way, it's a stumbling point for a lot of uh, other religions, uh, Judaism specifically, that they would say that we are. Uh, we believe in multiple gods because Jesus is a God and God is a God and Holy Spirit is a God. But we would say uh, the, the Bible, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity is not that there is. It's three uh, in one. It's like what side of the basketball is the right side? It's a, that's where a good analogy. One stop? Where does the other end? And that said, that's a beautiful thought. So in my mind, like, okay, so Jesus, when he was on earth, said, I didn't know. You have to ask the Father. And I wonder now, so John would have been there when he was asking that question. Is this Jesus saying, oh, hey, John, I know now. I can tell you now because <laughs> I've been to the Father and now I know and now I can tell you. I, that's, again, complete conjecture on my part. But that's what it means. It doesn't make Jesus smaller. It actually makes him bigger, in, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. And I think also an example of obedience um, for all of us and the submission that we have to the Father. And... Uh, I just think that there's there's something in there in that for us as a reminder as well. Yeah, God's in the details. I mean the uh, the last thing I'll say, and then we got to get to Grady. But you know, I was fascinated this week because everybody that's been around at all, you know, about the Corona virus, and, and by now you know that it is not the King of Beers. It actually is referring to a crown. And I was fascinated to learn that the original biologist that named and I'll drop this in our show notes as well the annotation on this that it named it corona didn't name it just for a crown uh, they named it because corona spinarium is actually the word for medieval religious art for the crown of thorns wow so there's something in that idea alone even again god is in the details mm. god is everywhere with this but i just wonder even with that like that crown of thorns and the coronavirus that that thing that's meant to destroy Jesus actually was the thing uh, that bought our salvation. And now here's the enemy, Antichrist, whatever, saying, hey, that crown of thorns, I'm going to use that crown of thorns, the Corona Spinarium in our culture right now in the world, that every time you say coronavirus, you're actually referring to a crown of thorns, according to the original uh, biologist with it. And so, Hey, I guess we put that under fascinating finds in our, uh, yeah, we decided to call this conduit deeper <laughs> podcast. Um, that, that, that is pretty deep and that's something that that's a rabbit trail, you know, that you, you can't necessarily maybe get into every Sunday, um, some of those different things. But yeah, we can. A lot of people are going like, thank God, because right. we're already there too long, but we can today and we can on this podcast. And so, yeah. We want to jump to, to Grady. You had an opportunity to interview him and and just ask him a bunch of questions. You know, I think we get caught up in, um, in, in forgetting that, you know, all the world events don't just apply to America, right? Oh, yeah. There's, we, we can have a very, um, very small view of things and it's important that we zoom out and see how things are affecting others and other believers across the world. And Grady has been a partner uh, alongside us for several years. And I yeah. know you had a chance to interview him this week, just kind of how things are impacting them where they're at. 
Yeah, oh yeah, I absolutely want you, uh, if you're listening right now, please uh, listen to this interview. Grady and Becky have lived in northern Iraq for over 10 years, and Grady was telling me how hungry that the world is right now for uh, the gospel, that, uh, that, that you, many of you know this, maybe many of you don't know this, but the, the virus is actually not affecting them that much in the Middle East, but what's affecting them is the economic crisis that is crushing them right now. And more people than ever are hungry to hear the truth, hungry for the gospel. He said that in a time when they, they, they used to be hard to give a Bible away. He said, now we can't, we just, they're giving them all away. Everybody wants a Bible now. So people are listening. Uh, and, and yeah, he does. He has some fascinating insight. Uh, I mean, keeping in mind when the, okay, when the, the people of Israel, when it says that they were uh, transferred over to Babylon, right? By the King Nebuchadnezzar, all that. Like he lives where they were exiled to. That's really cool. Right? Like there are Jewish populations, not very many right now, but that, that can trace their ancestry to that diaspora right where he lives. He lives within like a half an hour of Nineveh. Like wow. Joseph, go to Nineveh. Uh, he talks about a prophecy of where Nineveh is going to be wiped off the face of the earth with water. And he's going to talk about the dams and the Mosul Dam and mm -hmm. things that are happening right now. So anyway, I don't want to give any of that away more than I just did. Uh, but he has some fascinating insight. And I hope that you guys will listen through it. Thanks for being with us this week. And we will be back next Wednesday with another edition of the Conduit Deeper podcast. But for now, here is Grady Pickett from Iraq. So, Grady uh, Pickett, you and Becky, first of all, thanks for taking the time to be with us today, but you and Becky have been in Erbil, Iraq for over a decade. Can you, uh, for those that don't know, I mean, a, a lot of people listening know you, uh, but there's a lot from our extended family out there listening. Can you tell like what it is that you guys have been doing there and are doing in Iraq right now? Yeah, hey, Pastor Darren, thanks. Um, right now in Iraq, we're, we're, we're doing a couple different things. Um, we have a church here, an international church, which yeah, every Friday morning, that's when we do church. We have a dozen, probably a dozen different nations meeting together. And we just mm. go uh, verse by verse through the Bible. We always have a dinner afterwards. But the past three months, we've been locked out of our churches, unfortunately, because of the lockdown. So we're going online, doing everything online, trying to connect that way. But hmm. we also do humanitarian work. So we're feeding the hungry, and um, oh, and we we uh, we ship Bibles to um, our neighbors to the east, yeah. Iran. So, so to the okay underground we... and persecuted church there. So is it okay that we say Iran on this, or do I need to edit that out? I think it's okay. Here. Okay, got it. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that uh, obviously our church has been involved along with many others uh, in right. helping to find yeah, helping. the ship in the Bibles. Oh, yeah. Gosh, thank you. Right. I mean, all we're, do we're doing the easy part. We're just sending money. Yeah. Um, so you guys have been pastoring a church there for how long has the church been in, in existence? About four and a half years. Okay. Did it start like uh, it's in your living room? Well, it actually started about 10 years ago. It's kind of a tragic story, but some other missionary kind of hijacked it after two years, and we just took a break and okay. did humanitarian stuff for the next couple of years. 
waiting for God to give us the green light. And then we finally did. He, he, I mean, God finally did. And we started again, just with our family. And uh, hmm. we rented a, a big house and remodeled it into like a church with offices and a big kitchen for dinners and a guest house for teens that would come in. And that's what we've been doing for the past six years. What's the biggest challenge that faces a church? Like what are the obstacles that you guys face in Iraq that might be uh, unique to where you are from where we are? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Unique challenges for a church like ours is we are not legal. And nobody wants to give us a legal status. So we just do it anyways and try to fly below, just barely below the radar. Hmm. And we also have, you know, a nonprofit for humanitarian works that kind of covers us also. Oh, interesting. So there you get more trouble from Orthodox and from Catholics than say uh, Islam or Kurds. Yeah. 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 It's mainly the Catholic Bishop. He, he hates our guts. Interesting. Yeah. I don't even know what to say with that. Like, that is not what I thought you were going to say. What, uh, yeah. what do you attribute that to? It's, uh, he just kind of runs it like he's the godfather of this, of this town, of this suburb of Erbil called Ankawa, which is kind of the Christian side of town. And he doesn't want any competition. And he's got the money and the lands and all the contacts and uh, in the years, but you know, there's a, a small but growing Bible believing, born again, evangelical Protestant presence here, and they don't like it one bit. Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, with no disrespect to my brothers and sisters, uh, who, who might be from a Catholic background, but that, that's an interesting, uh, yeah, demonic, right? I mean, to be restricting yeah. what you yeah, guys are doing, is. huh? <laughs> Well, with that, I mean, but with this, that, the it, younger priests, we get along well with them, but it's these older guys, man. They hate our guts. So we just steer clear of them. But sometimes our paths do cross and we just walk in love. Hmm. What's the one thing right now that you guys are doing that is the most pressing uh, need in front of you? I, I know that you guys have, uh, there's obviously refugee camps there. There's been a lot of what was going on with the war in Syria. Uh, but what, like, what's right in front of you right now that's the most pressing? Well, uh, just yesterday, there was a big fire in a refugee camp near us, and the people lost everything. So uh, we've been wow. asked to go and try to help. And, um, you know, it's, if you lost everything, that <laughs> you just, and once you're a refugee, you just keep losing everything. <sighs> and a fire steals it, all the few things you did collect. So we're going to try and help out there. Hmm. Um, we're also helping to feed people locals, refugees, and like guest workers, mainly like Africans who have come to Erbil to work, like the worst of the worst jobs. But many of them have not been paid for three or four months. Wow. And they can't pay their rent and they can't pay for their visa fees. And they're literally going hungry. So uh, we delivered some food boxes two nights ago to uh, three young men from Ghana that go to our church. So... I feel like, you know, God's has told us, just love the one in front of you. Love Mm -hmm. the ones that come across your path. We can't help everybody. And that's a recipe for burnout right there. But we can definitely 
help the ones in our circles and then everyone else who uh, seems to call and find our number. It's uh, that's manageable. Yeah. So let me ask you this question then Grady. It is, it's always been impressive watching you guys over the years, whether you were, you know, trading, training Kurdish uh, warriors to fight against ISIS or yeah. <laughs> smuggling yeah. Bibles. Um, mm -hmm. But so you, I say that you've seen a lot in 10 years it, with this, with the pandemic, with the lockdowns that are happening right now, what are you seeing right now that you've never seen before? Like I keep in America that I keep hearing people say, I've never seen anything like this before. Are, are you guys experiencing it that there? And what is it that you're seeing that is unique now that hasn't happened before? Yeah, it's, it's the lockdown for sure. And the power struggles that go with the lockdown and the different cities that are hit harder than others here in Iraq. Um, but yeah, that first lockdown where it was a whole city of a million people and everybody in the country, we've never seen the streets just empty. And, you know, with an NGO, we have special permission to get out and deliver food boxes to people and do humanitarian stuff. So it's like your first time driving, it feels like what just happened? It's like the apocalypse just happened. Hmm. Everyone's hiding out. So now we're used to it. And um, is, you know, did the, the second waves and third waves are coming and they're trying to figure out what to do. For where you guys are, is the virus the main problem or is it the lockdown policies that are creating the bigger problem? It's probably the lockdown policies that are causing the big problems. And, you know, but most people say they've done a good job. Everyone has cooperated, have pretty much done what they've mm -hmm. said to do. But life has to get back. People have got to make money. They've got yeah. to, uh, so, you know, support their families. The economy crashes. Yeah, it's been frustrating to watch because, yeah. um, I mean, you could hold your head under water and that would keep you from getting coronavirus, but that doesn't mean it's a policy. Like that doesn't mean that that's a good system. Uh, it's certainly not sustainable. Uh, yeah. my, my friend in Haiti told me that, you know, I have about a less than 1% chance of the virus killing me, but starvation is 100% uh, fatal. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so I, we have two choices there. We can take our chances. Yeah. And eat for the day or, you know, hide at home. Yeah. I think that's what's been frustrating, Grady, is that, you know, the entire world, we put our hope in scientists, which are doing their best. I, I think that for the most part, they're doing their best, yeah. but the best that they have to offer will still kill, according to the UN, is still going to kill 30 million children of starvation. Um, that's, right. that's a UN, New York Times, I'll put it in the show notes, that was just reported last month. Uh, the best policies that the scientists have given us right now uh, say that diphtheria, um, measles, uh, because they haven't been able to vaccinate like they've been able to before. So now that these diseases are about to take on a life of their own polio and all through sub-Saharan Africa. I guess my point is, is that like if, if our hope in the world right now has been in uh, the medical community, which they do amazing work and we're super grateful for our, our doctors and physicians, and at the same time, there's just limits to what they can do um, without unintended consequences that are going to uh, kill millions of people. Um, right. Which to me, I guess, Grady, kind of brings me to the question. One of the main reasons I wanted to ask you on here is I'm looking at some of this stuff and thinking, man, 
this feels different. Like you used the word apocalyptic driving through the streets. So there's nobody here. Right, um, right. And in some ways that's, that's a statement, but like, what is it like there that makes you think that maybe there's something different happening now? Something different. Well, here in Iraq with the low oil prices, nobody's getting paid. All the civil servants, the doctors, we have socialized healthcare here. They haven't been paid in three or four months and they're walking away from the hospitals in some cities. Oh, wow. And police are putting up roadblocks, you know, trying to protest, trying to get Baghdad's attention to send some money up here. But so does Baghdad have any point. money to send? I'm not sure what, what, what's going on. Just low oil prices and there's no money to support the government. Wow. That's what it feels like. You know, they got money in reserve, but they're always just trying to weaken Kurdistan up here in the north. Mm -hmm. You know, it's dirty politics, perhaps, also. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when you combine an economic uh, catastrophe with dirty politics, it's just the recipe for, Uh, you know, disaster. Well, when you think about that, I mean, you know, you and I have chatted back and forth and you know, one of the things I asked you was like, are there, just for today, we don't have an unlimited amount of time, but like, you and I are both teaching through the book of Revelation. Your church has been teaching it uh, more than mine has, which has been great because I can just steal uh, your sermons. But cool. what, are you, what are you seeing right now there as you're going through Revelation, the idea that Jesus is returning? You know, are there like five things that, I mean, there's probably a hundred, but like what are like the top five things you're seeing right now that you think, man, this sure. is a sign yeah. that Jesus is, Jesus is warming up a trumpet. That stand out. Um, I think that verse from Daniel that says, in the end or the end times, knowledge would be increased and people would be running to and fro. I'm like, that's a perfect picture of today. Mm. People just worldwide travel and knowledge. My goodness. And the knowledge just available at your fingertips with a Google search. Right. Nothing you can't learn between that and the YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah, and you think about that and you tie it into Second Timothy where it talks about ever learning uh, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> because doesn't that feel like what's happening? I'm learning so much and I still don't know what's true. Like, I don't know how it is in, in Iraq, but uh, you know, one month they're saying don't wear masks, the next month they're saying wear masks. It, one month they're saying it's on surfaces that the COVID is going to get you. And the next month it's like, it's not going to get you. And so we're literally just, just ever learning and not coming to a knowledge of the truth. So, okay. So that's one. So the Daniel, is that Daniel? I'll find it for the show notes. I think it's Daniel nine. I'll find that for you. and I'll put it in there for you. But so, so that's one. What's What's another one? Well, another one that, that came out of our study was, it talks about the armies of the East. Mm. Some translate as uh, the armies were uh, from the land of the rising sun. Now that's, that's probably China, who the only country that could field a 200 million man army would one day walk across the Euphrates River on dry land. Now that's never happened in all of world history. That, that's like drying up the Mississippi River. But, right. So, yeah. So that river is not like the Harpeth here in Nashville. That's a river river. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big river. But in our lifetime, Turkey has built 22 dams 
on the Euphrates River at the headwaters. And the engineers that said, we can now turn off the Euphrates River water for eight months to specifically, if they don't like the politics and what's going on downriver, they can turn off the water. Like just shut <laughs> it off. And get in line with what Turkey wants. So that's an enormous amount of power, by the way. It sure is. Yeah. You know, they talk about water being the future of wars in the future. Sure, I can see that. Right. There was a book a few years back called The Big Short. Uh, it was later turned into uh, a movie, uh, a guy named Michael Lewis. But it, the, the basic premise is it was uh, this guy who invested uh, at the, uh, the housing crash of 2008, when the economic crash, there was one guy that invested against it and made billions of dollars because of his, he saw what no one else saw. But, but here's why I say that, Grady. At the end of that film, they were saying, okay, this guy's doing this now, this guy's living rich and happy and whatever. The last thing that it said was um, this, this guy, who the billionaire that had made all this money, that his next investment is water. Oh yeah. Like sure. that's the guy that called the economic crash of 2008. And that's been like five, six years ago now, and maybe more that he's, that that movie was out. And so when you put that on top of that, like we have water crises here in America with Vegas or whatever, but you're talking about the Middle East, like that amount of power could supersede oil in one way to have the control over water. And by the yeah. way, you, you talk about it too with China coming in and, and you and I have both talked about this because uh, you were, was it Zimbabwe that you were at last year? Yes. Tens okay. Right. Yeah. So you saw it all up and down as well there that uh, Chinese companies, the Chinese government has been uh, loaning, quote unquote, loaning money to East African countries, as well as, uh, by the way, European countries, Italy and Greece, um, right. loaning them money to purchase, to buy infrastructure. And of course, that money, then they buy uh, infrastructure. They're hiring Chinese companies to do the infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and the point being money that they could never repay. So the, the port in Kenya, uh, the, the super highway that's going through Uganda, they've discovered oil in northern Uganda, all being built by Chinese companies loaned to Uganda by Chinese government. Uh, there's no way these companies will ever, or the countries could ever possibly repay it. My point in saying that is uh, maybe for the first time in our lifetime is there, a, there is a reason why a Chinese army would want to march across a super highway into the Middle East, right? Just look, you guys have been fighting and killing each other. We're kind of done with this. We need to take over you know, so our country yeah. can survive. Yeah. Uh, all conjecture, of course, but uh, fascinating nonetheless that for the first time since John wrote these words 2,000 years ago, like, Great. And if you just do the math on a country with 2 billion people, that's like 50,000 people born every day. And that means you've got about 50,000 people that need jobs every day. You know, wow. people turning 18 years old, you've got to keep that engine running or you got to do something with all those people. People get restless when they start sitting around and are unemployed. Oh, yeah. So perhaps yeah. war is one of those things where you're like, all right, we can reduce the population a bit and uh, go get them. Yeah, I mean, and when you think of support all the girl babies, so you got this massive army with no one to marry. Yeah, like, I, all right. I don't think that we've really 
fully appreciate that in America, that, that China for decades, and I know they've lightened that policy, but, but for decades have been aborting female babies. They've got a, you talk about a high ratio of men with no women. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll put it differently. When John was alive, I don't even know that there were 200 million people on the face of the earth, okay? No. But where we are now, there are 200 million men in China easily, just in yes. China. Yes. Alone. So, okay, so that's the second one. Armies of the East, uh, first Daniel, increased knowledge, armies of the East. What, what else, man? Right. Um, room, I would say wars and rumors of wars. Of course, that, that's, that's in Revelation, but it's also in the Gospels and uh, as a sign of the end times. So I went and I looked up how many wars have been fought in the Middle East. And I counted 64 wars and conflicts in the past 70 years. And even more if you go back to when oil was found here 100 years ago. And these were some of the poorest countries in the world. And now they're some of the richest countries in the world. And uh, man, there's no place else in the world that's had more conflict, more wars than, than here in the Middle East. And, you know, this is where it all started and this is where it all ends. So I think that's a sign of the times also. Yeah, because so I think, Grady, when you think about it, um, and most people don't maybe understand the difference between Sunni and Shia Islam, but, but just in that alone, 10% uh, of Islam is uh, Shia, the rest is Sunni. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the question is, which one is more evil? And, you know, the fact is Osama bin Laden was Sunni but the Ayatollah is Shia. So the answer is they're both uh, yes. have dangerous proclivities in, in their radical forms. Right. But, but there seems like even now, like when you're looking at people, uh, the, the, what's happening between Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen, right? You look at what's happening just inside of your backyard, Iran on one side, Turkey on the other side, the Kurds yeah. in the middle, uh, Syria down below, like, it, it feels like everybody's standing with guns pointed at each other, just waiting for the first one to shoot and the whole thing could go down. Right. Right. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm talking about that. Like that's your backyard. So I don't mean to like that. That's, <laughs> I don't mean you just say that like, ha ha, that's serious, you know? Yeah. A civilization is a thin veneer and it just quickly can be pulled, pulled off. And then just the worst of, of mankind can just come out. So and doesn't it seem then when you talk, because you right when you read through, whether it's Ezekiel or mm -hmm. Daniel or well, you know, the, the, the prophetic calendars, you will, it does, it all does. It, I mean, not only does it come just to the Middle East, right? It comes to the Middle East, but it's to Israel, not just to Israel, but to Jerusalem and not just to Jerusalem, but the Temple Mount. Like it's, it literally like just bullseyes in on exactly what was prophesied years, thousands of years ago. And we're literally watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's real. like having a front row seat. Yeah. Bible prophecy and end times events. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's, uh, I mean, maybe this is on your list, but I can remember 15 years ago, Turkey uh, was, was an ally and they were friendly. And, and I remember it might have been Chuck Missler. I just don't remember. But one of those guys was saying, look, all, all I can tell you this is keep your eye on Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, because they're a nation that has been prophesied that will rise up. And it didn't make much sense uh, then, or at least didn't seem to fit. And then out of nowhere comes this guy, Erdogan, who is 
his version of make Turkey great again, right, is the rise of the Ottoman Empire, yeah, uh, which right. for sure affects you guys uh, where you are in Kurdish population. But okay, so that's three. So what's number four? So number four, boy, I have, I have a couple of them. Of okay. course, Israel become a, na a nation again for the third time. That's a big one. And then the Bible says the nation that sees this would in no, in no wise pass away. So that's about, you know, from 48. My dad was born in 49. He's about 70 years old. That's my dad's generation saw that. Hmm. So, you know, does that give us another five, 10 years maybe on that, that prophetic time clock? Right. Uh, that, I, I think that's pretty fascinating. And by the way, you know, so we're a little bit older, but I think if the millennial age hearing what you just said about Israel becoming a nation again, yeah. that's all they've ever known was a world where Israel was a nation. Uh, it's all they've ever known is a uh, progressive legacy media that, uh, that sort of throws rocks uh, at yeah. Israel, uh, Cortez and some of these politicians. But, but the fact of the matter is never in history has a nation been wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah. And then you later came back to be a nation again. Like that's a big deal. Even if you discount the biblical prophecy, that's just a big deal. Yeah. But when you factor in biblical prophecy, that's like, okay, that's a big deal that that, yeah. that happened. And it is. And their language was almost forgotten. I mean, it's been restored also. Hmm. So, how does cool. how does that play out like in the politics of your region? Because if there's one thing that seems to be whether you're Sunni or Shia, one thing you can get uh, on the same page with is you hate Israel, uh, anti-Semitism, uh, yeah. demonic from the core, and you're even in a Kurdish population. And if you can't talk about this, uh, just tell me and we'll just skip right over it. But how does Israel becoming a nation and that being a part of Christianity, uh, how does that play out where you are? Is that something you kind of have to be quiet about because they hate Israel or how do they respond to that? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, here up northern Iraq, Kurdistan, they're, they're sympathetic to the Jews because they have a, a kind of a similar history of always getting beat up on by the Arabs. Kurds have just been beat up on, slaughtered by the Arabs in the past, and the Israelis have too. So everyone's looking for allies to be friends with, you know, people to be, be friends with, but... If you get too close and you know, the countries start talking and then they want to beat up on you for being nice to Israel. But right. a lot of the old timers, they remember the Jews that used to live here. We still have abandoned Jewish quarters in town where empty houses sit. And, uh, you know, they were here for like 2,500 years, ever since the Babylonian captivity. They are the original inhabitants of this land longer than anyone else has lived here. Except maybe like the Assyrians, who yeah. are, are now like your Catholic and Orthodox believers. There, some of those are still here. But man, huh. it was just in our life or our father's lifetime, 1948, when Israel became a nation again, all these Arab nations got whooped in that six day war and they just released that rage on the Jewish populations all across the Middle East. And they were expelled from all these countries. Here in Iraq, I mean, there was millions of Jews living in Baghdad, and they all had to flee. The government said, you can't take anything with you. I remember this little boy had a, a, a stamp for a, a letter in his pocket, and that policeman found it and just about beat him. Hmm. 
you guys are taking nothing with you. So wow. they buried their gold in their backyard and they still find Jewish gold today all across Iraq. But wow. yeah, they had to leave with nothing and start a new life in Israel. But that was the story all across the Middle East. And of course, man, the story that just keeps being told over and over again is the return of the diaspora back yeah. to yeah. Israel. I just saw a piece, I'll drop this in our show notes too, that uh, mm -hmm. during COVID, whatever, but there's actually been an increase in uh, diaspora returning to I Israel. I saw a headline saying yeah. that. It's a fascinating uh, thought. No, God says, I'll send out the fishers first. Fishing mm. is different. And they, these people that went out, these Christians went out across old Russia when it opened up, and they found Jewish people, and they flew them in on airplanes back to Israel. And, uh, and then that all died down, just about to nothing. And then God says in the same prophecy, I'm going to send out the hunters next to get you mm. to come back to Israel. I'm like, hunting is a little bit more bloody than fishing. Huh. So it could be persecution. It could be other st strange, scary things. Kind of like the first one's an invitation and enticement. The other one, people are coming to get you. So you may need it's to run back that. for safety. Which, man, that certainly feels a lot like uh, what's happening <laughs> in a lot of places. I've, I've read a lot about what's happening with anti-Semitism rising in Europe and specifically Germany and how a lot of uh, uh, Jews are returning just for their own safety back to mm -hmm. Israel. Right, right. With all these Muslim refugees coming in and, you know, they're just taught to hate from day one, Jewish people and mistrust them. They get to Europe and they see their first Jewish person like, whoa, I've never seen one before. Kill. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know that people, I know that people, for the most part in Western context, um, don't understand just that what you just described, like a, a young uh, Muslim being raised in a madrasa, uh, completely mm -hmm. cut off from the outside world. They, they envision Jew, they envision like a monster, like a beast, because yeah. yeah. that's what they were taught. And if you're a kid... You know, in our own country, that's happening right now with, uh, with, you know, there's this big conversation about racism and about what's happening to our African-American, our black friends. And, yeah. and, and without any context to that, then there's this other thing that's happening around the world, specifically to uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, that whether right. you're in Sudan or even in Uganda, man, I, they have shut down madrasas in Uganda. The government has. The government It's not screwing around in Uganda, by the way. They're not interested in radical... Islam. They've watched yeah. what's happening in Kenya China and they're like, too, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. China's not, not putting up with any of that. Not in the mood. Um, no. So let me, okay, for the sake of time, what's number five? Israel becoming a nation for the third time. Like that's one that probably everybody knows, but it's also one we probably really should remember. That's a big deal. But like, what's the fifth one? Well, there was, there's kind of a cryptic verse in the Bible where Jesus says, if, if they say the Messiah is out in the desert and they found him, don't go. Mm. Don't believe it. Because when I return, it's going to be just as plain as day, like lightning falling from the sky. So it seems like there's going to be these guys. I, I don't know if it's like an archaeological find. They're going to find a mummy and he's going to come alive or something weird's going to happen. And the world and the camera's going to go there to see this thing come alive. Hmm. So they've got this Messiah figure here that they're waiting for, mainly in Iran, and they call him the Mahdi. And the Shia in Shia Islam theology, 
the Mahdi will return when worldwide chaos has been established. And they can help hasten that day by creating worldwide chaos. And all the leaders and all the government positions in Iran are Mahdi believers, or we call them Twelvers. So hmm. not the kind of people you want with a nuclear weapon, but that's what they want. Right. They'll lie and all day long, say it's for peace, peaceful purposes and nuclear energy. No, they want the bomb. They want to join the nuclear club and they may just want to use it to help bring the Mahdi back. Right. They can kind of sideline America and their aim is just destroy Israel and push Israel off the map and retake it for Islam. And then they, they believe that this Mahdi guy, who's a perfect picture of the Antichrist, mm -hmm. say he's going to return with Jesus. He's going to kill all the Jews, Christians, and, and pigs. And he's going to make the whole world follow Islam. So, yeah, I think that. Like the Antichrist. I, um, I uh, am convinced that the, one of the things that's fully underappreciated about Iran specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the big attention that we get a lot here in America is North Korea. Now, and I don't want that guy getting a nuclear weapon. Either. Right. You know, a rocket man does not need uh, that. Yeah. But the one difference between rocket man and Ayatollah mm -hmm. is rocket man is an atheist. Okay. So he doesn't want to die. He's loving his life. He's surrounded by beautiful women. He can be a fat little troll and be, be all, but, but he doesn't want to die. But when you're surrounded by a religion that actually says, if you die, it's better because Mahdi is coming and he's going to resurrect you. And the same false theology. Yeah. 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 So it's what caused those guys to fly a plane into the World Trade Center right. um, for, that was Sunni, obviously, but from a Shia perspective, giving that guy, giving that regime a nuclear weapon uh, is, uh, is foolish at, at best because, that, because their theology is, is to the point where they believe this stuff that uh, allowing them in that world and the 12 version... And, and at some point in the future, we'll actually do another. I've, I've taught on Islam on Sunday mornings a couple of times just because helping people understand the difference between Sunni and, and Shia, uh, if nothing else, helps us between the geopolitical situation, you know, yeah. that, that we're in. It, it's, if nothing else helps you understand, you know, why on one day uh, the United States and Iran are fighting side by side to fight against ISIS, because right. ISIS is Sunni, but then the next day when uh, ISIS is defeated, now we're back to shooting each other because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's more complex than we have time for this uh, conversation. But let, let me ask you this, Grady, and one of the last things I'm going to ask. Um, it's entirely possible, pl plausible that, that in our lifetime that we will see the return of, of Christ, okay? Mm -hmm. Iran, the Ayatollah, they say that the, what the best thing they could do is to hasten it and to, to bloodshed and to, but, but that's not the Jesus way, right? The, of, the, of the literal return of Jesus. What should we be doing as Jesus people uh, yeah. knowing? Because the temptation to go bury weapons, build a compound, uh, you know, whatever, start a thing. But, but what do you think? just someone listening in Iowa hears this, like what, what would, what do we do? Right. I just go back to the words of Jesus and what he said to, to do. 
He says, disciple, make disciples of all nations. You know, in the, in, in, in the end times, it says all the nations are going to hate each other. The Christians have got to go out and disciple the nations. And someday that last person's going to be born again, and then it's it's done. It's finished. Hmm. The rapture and the seven years of tribulation will begin, and then that thousand-year millennium. But then in Revelation 22 says, I'm coming with my rewards, and I'm going to reward everybody hmm. that has been faithful and has followed me and has been obedient. So just do what God has called you to do in this life and do it well. Do it with the grace of God, you know, with the power of God on your life. And do it with joy. That's yeah. all we can do. Yeah, and I think that... Go ahead. Yeah, extend hospitality and love your neighbor. Hmm. Yeah, that feels right to me. I mean, that's, if you believe um, the words of Jesus and you believe that, hey, in, even as in the ramp up to his return, that the world is unstable, that means there's going to be more poverty. There's going to be more broken, more imprisoned, more. And so it makes sense that that's why Jesus in that context in Matthew 24 said, hey, feed your neighbors who are in need, clothe them, uh, visit them in prison. It's all in the context of that. Yeah. And so yeah. I think, especially in the West right now, where we, so far, we have been spared the majority of what is experienced around the world. We don't know for how long. We already know that some of the restrictions have tightened around us. But I do believe that that means that we have this uh, privilege to join Jesus in his mission uh, to make disciples, to bring people to a knowledge and a relationship with him. And along the way, feeding and clothing and serving refugees and Jesus people. It's just, when he, when he talks about parables of when the, the owner of the house returns or when the master returns, one of the things that seems to make the master happy is that we were actually doing what he asked us to do. Yes. Amen. Yeah. You know, so to that end, uh, you know, we say here in, in uh, Conduit, you've heard me say, you can be a goer or you can be a sender. You can be both. You can be either, but you cannot be neither. So if someone is calling, you know, calling someone to come be with you in Iraq, that's, we could tell them how to do that. But for those that are not, how can we support you financially to be a part of the sending of what you guys are doing there? What are the greatest needs that you have right now that we could help you with? Yeah, our greatest needs are just Bible shipping costs and uh, support for our staff and our interns. We've got interns that come in for months at a time and, and go back. And we just put our last interns on an airplane two days ago and they've left. They come every year for the past five or six years. They're a huge blessing to us, but it costs money. Yeah. You know, the nations are not going to pay for their own evangelization. Yeah. That's our job. We got to do it. Yeah. So help the good people go. Focus on the 1040 window. This hardest, most, you know, this is the last nut to crack for the gospel. It's the hardest, most dangerous place, but it can be done. And with technology, it's we're getting into places that we normally can't go. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. That's making a way. Yeah. When I think about um, David Platt, it was a few years back, but he said, you know, the hard, uh, the easy places are taken. Um, it's the hard places uh, that are left because the hard places are hard. Uh, 
but man, I just believe, and I've seen it firsthand that there, that, um, that a, that if Jesus loves, uh, Jews, if he loves Muslims, if, which he does, and he does. Yeah. Then that's our great privilege and honor to share that with them, whether they reject it or not. Like it's our great pleasure and honor. Um, my, my friend, uh, Dana, who lives in North Africa, when she, uh, she'd been held hostage by the Taliban like 20 years Mm -hmm. ago. And after she was released, she wanted to go back. And her reason was, it's just not fair. These, these women, they don't know about Jesus. They don't know that God loves them. It's not fair that they don't know. And I pray that that heart gets in all of us too, that it's not fair that they don't know. Um, right. And- they say about 85% have never even met a Christian. So it's not that they've rejected the gospel. They've never heard it in the first mm. place. That's a, that's a number that is hard to get my mind wrapped around. When you think about hundreds of millions of Muslims and and 85% haven't heard, uh, it's a challenge for us. And I, you know, look, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you and I uh, will be in heaven in a matter of a few decades and we're still waiting here on the side, but I I don't think that's how it's going to go down. And I want to be like Peter and John and Paul to say that we were living as if he was coming back tomorrow that we're living in such a way as that and so you know we look at these signs a sign is not what we're seeking a sign just tells us we're on the right road um and i appreciate you giving me uh these today i just like it because you're coming at it from a a very unique perspective raised in the west but you know you spent the last few decades you know in 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 non-western context so it's fun to hear you uh talk about it like that um how can we be praying for you? We're going to put a link up for how people can donate to what you're doing. How can we be praying for you? We're going to do something next where we are going to teach the Bible online. And it's going to be translated into five different languages mm-hmm. here in the Middle East. <clears throat> but if my face is on it, that makes me a little bit nervous. So pray for God's protection, God's wisdom. Yeah. You kind of become a target. But there is a hunger out there, and these people, they need it. They need expository Bible teaching. So I feel like that's what the Lord in this this downtime with COVID and the lockdown and, and the prayer and the prayer walking we've been doing, I feel like that's the next thing God has wanted us to do. And every time he's told us to do something, there's always this hurdle of fear to get over. Hmm. But then you do it. It was scary, and you're like, wow, we did it. And then you wait for the next assignment. So the next one this thing could take scary. us another four years to teach mm. the whole Testament verse by verse. So properly like I want to do yeah. it. But I think that's I, the next thing on the horizon. You know what I love about that, man, is that in this digital world that we're in right now, that can live on in perpetuity, you know? Yes, exactly. You, when you teach... We got to record it so it's not lost. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about some of the guys that, you know, I, I mean, the guys I listen to, you know, like Jay Vernon McGee or yeah. Chuck Missler, who just recently passed. Yeah. I mean, they, they've taught for decades and are now in eternity. And I'm still listening to, you know, stuff yeah. they taught in the 70s, you know. So right. think Grady Pickett teaching, which, by the way, well, here's why that's important. Teaching it into their language into the future 
I don't know that they're, if they're, if there may be, but I don't know who they are, but people translating into those languages, uh, I'll say this and then I'll let you go. Here's an encouragement for you. I met a young man in Togo, Africa, and I asked him, uh, you know, what are you going to do with your life? Whatever. And normally what they say, you know, is, well, I want to go be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. And then I want you to pay for it. That's how that normally goes. But, Uh, but he didn't say that. He said, you know, Darren, man's greatest glory is to, uh, to bring glory to God. And so if I swing a hammer, I'll swing it to his glory. If I preach, I'll preach to his glory. It's like, who are you? And where did you learn that? And he learned it from a Calvary Chapel Bible College in Northern Ghana. Ooh, amen. Right? But here's what, here's what the Bible College was. It was just like thumb drives with Chuck Smith's Bible teaching. Wow. And, they, and they just went through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, eight hours a day for a year. And that has been churning out disciples from Ghana, that's 10 years ago. They're still doing it over there. So be encouraged, man. That's an idea that you might not all see the benefit in front of you uh, in, in arenas, but uh, in, in eternity, that kind of stuff could really pay yes, uh, it dividends. Would. So, hey man, if thanks it's for God your- idea, It's a God idea. It right. Has to be- well, look, thank you for uh, your time. I know it's late uh, there. Please send our love to Becky and the kids and tell them we're going to miss them this summer. But if you guys get back in the fall, uh, well, you, you know, whenever it is, man, bro, you, you tell me you're here tomorrow. You have an open invitation to add conduit. So it's always, I'll turn over that pulpit to you any, uh, any day. So thank you. Appreciate that. Hopefully our airport opens back up and maybe we'll get out of here to visit our family and friends in America in September. I'm hoping and praying. Good. We'll, we'll join you in prayer on that. So, okay. okay. Hey, good night to you, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks to Darren. Blessings to you. Thanks, buddy. Bye.